0: Everything had, had been prepared, including the expensive wedding ring. Months before the wedding, the bride and groom-to-be planned a great reception. The couple had gone to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston and painstakingly picked out the menu. The china, the silver, and even the flower arrangements that they liked. The bill came to around $25,000, and for something like that, they had to leave a 50% down payment. The next few months were spent ironing out the remaining one thousand and one details and the immaculately white wedding cake, the limousine, and of course, last minute finishing touches on the wedding gown. Everyone was, was very excited. Then, the day the invitations were about to be sent out, the groom to be suddenly got cold feet and told his fiance he wasn't really sure that he was ready for this. To make a long story short, the wedding was canceled, and the woman, our potential bride, as expected, was upset. To make matters worse, her ex-fiancee disappeared altogether from the scene, leaving her the painful task of canceling all the previous arrangements, including the wedding ceremony, the wedding party. As if things were not bad enough, when she went to the Hyatt to cancel the reception, the events manager shook her head sympathetically and told her, the contract is is binding. You're only entitled to $1,300 back. You have two options, to forfeit the rest of the down payment or go ahead with the banquet. I'm sorry. Guess what the bride decided to do? She decided to go ahead with the party. Not a wedding party, of course, but a but a big blowout. She had the wild notion of inviting her family and friends, but decided not to do that. Instead, she went ahead and invited the poor people of Boston. So she invited the aging from the nursing homes, and, and still not content with that, she also sent out invitations to rescue missions and homeless shelters. Her friends, of course, thought she'd gone out of her mind. Are you crazy, they told her? Throwing a party that's free for everyone? Yup. All in honor of the groom, she said. And so, in June of that year, the Hyatt Hotel of downtown Boston hosted a party unlike any other. The homeless came. The elderly were wheeled in from their nursing homes. People who were used to picking up half nod pizza from trash bins feasted instead on chicken cordon bleu. Hyatt waiters in tuxedos served champagne to senior citizens in wheelchairs and aluminum walkers. Bag ladies, drug addicts, and beggars took the night off from the streets of downtown Boston and relished the wedding cake and danced in the most unusual wedding party of all. It's a story that uh, appeared in the Boston Globe a few years back. And obviously in that story we know that the the people who attended that party, who attended that would have been wedding, didn't deserve to be there. They didn't deserve that night. But that woman wanted them there, and that's how they were entitled to be with her. The same thing can be said for us. We come as empty people weighed down by life. We come as beggars deserving nothing in this life. But we're greeted as royalty and treated as kings. We've been in a a series these last few weeks, as Sarah just said, uh, talking about identity, talking about uh, different aspects of our identity, and this week we want to focus on this one big idea, this one main thought. You are a child of God. You are royalty. Good morning and welcome to Movement. My name is Mark and I have the... uh, Awesome privilege of, of being the lead pastor here, and I'm, I'm excited that we can uh, continue to, to go through this this week and, and teach. We've been in this identity series for a few weeks now, and we've learned that uh, we were created in the image of God. We've learned that we are the bride of Christ, and we've learned some very foundational things for our lives. And we've been doing that for, for this reason. We've been using this, this illustration here, and I haven't broken my neck yet, so why not keep going for this, all right? We've said that, that uh, as Americans, as people, as humans, we put our foundation on things that are movable, that are shakable, that can change. And when we put our foundation and our trust and our identity on things that are movable, shakable, and changeable, they do exactly that. They move, they shake, and they change. And so when we put our foundation in our job and we lose our job, we're shocked to find out that we don't know who we are anymore. When we put our, our foundation in our friends and then those relationships change, we're shocked when we don't know who we are Our identity can only be based on one thing that is immovable, that is unshakable, that is unchangeable, and that's putting our identity in the love that Jesus showed us when he died on the cross. And so this morning, as we continue to talk through our identity, we want to talk about the fact that we are a child of God. I am a child of God. You are a child of God. And we are royalty. So often uh, we've all had this this impression of of Christians and of churches that they they tell people what to do and they tell them how to live and our heart in this series is not that we want to tell you what to do or how to live but we think that, that if people knew who they were, if they knew whose they were they would live their lives as a reflection of that. And so our heart isn't to tell you what to do but it's to say you are a child of God, you are royalty, you are created in the image of God you are the bride of Christ and next week we'll even talk about the fact that we're aliens yes, aliens Those things and knowing those things, trusting those things, putting our identity in those things should change the way that we live. You are a child of God. This morning, uh, if if you have a a Bible with you, I'd like to invite you to turn to Revelation 19. Maybe maybe you didn't bring one. There's a Bible under your chair or the chair next to you if you want to go ahead and grab that. The reason that we're doing that is because if, if you don't know who your dad is, it's hard to know who you are as a child of God. And so I want to invite you to look at Revelation chapter 19 today. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. This is going to be a snapshot of who God is. This is going to be a snapshot of who our Father is. And this is going to give us some insight and a picture into who we are. So Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. This is just a small glimpse that Paul was given uh, in this book as, as he's looking at what will happen in the end times and what, what it will look like when, when God comes back and... Uh, just he, he, He's describing this, and uh, sometimes people read the book of Revelation and get overwhelmed and think, all of this is going to happen, what's going on? I want us to just focus this morning, this is a snapshot as he sees God in all of his glory. He sees God for who he is, and so this is who your father is. This is who our dad is. Verse 11 of Revelation 19, then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God. The Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, at his thighs, was written this title King of all kings and Lord of all lords. I've read that passage this week in a few different translations and, and just tried to look at the words and what it's saying. And the words that are used to describe God, our Father, are words like this faithful, true, justice is mentioned. He's called the Almighty, the King, the Lord. I don't, I don't know about you, uh, but when I think of dad, those are, those are not words that people have used to describe my dad. And I'm afraid my dad might be listening to this on our website. So, dad, if you can hear this, I love you. I promise. I hope you heard that. Okay. Uh, but no one, most of you probably have not described your, your earthly dad in that way. You've probably not said, my dad is faithful and true. Uh, he kind of reminds me of justice. He's an almighty king and lord. I, I doubt you've said that. And yet, that's who we're told who our dad is. No, I'm, I'm joking around, but uh, you know my, my, my earthly dad is, is, uh, is a man who I love, and, and a, a man who's given me a lot of my identity on, on earth here, and so often we think of our parents, we think of our fathers, and we think about the fact that they have made us who we are, and, and so uh, I, am, I am the son of, of Ron Artrip. Some of you have met him. He's an interesting man who will entertain you. Some of you haven't, so that makes no sense, but... One day when there's a guy here, and you're thinking, wow, what's that guy doing here? You'll be like, oh, that's Mark's dad, and it all makes sense, okay? So I want to show you some pictures today, because uh, because I am his son, there are some things that, that I have. Uh, I, I'm a redhead, but, but at the same time, in some of these pictures, I look like my dad, and so I've taken on part of his DNA, part of his look. These are, these are pictures of me as a young model. Not really. That was probably taken at, like, I don't know, Big Lots or something, if they have a photo studio. Nobody told me to smile in that one, but the laser background was awesome, so I should have been smiling. Uh, but, but these are characteristics. I, uh, I kind of have my, my dad's ears, my dad's smile, if I'm being honest. He does not have a bowl cut, but I did, all right? Don't judge me. They're back in style. Okay? Okay. Um, and I've shared this with some of you before. Even uh, right here, my, my right ear has a little point on it. My dad's right ear has that same thing. And so there are ways that I've, I've taken on uh, his, his DNA and taken on who he is. I've taken on the identity of my father. Uh, the, the one main way that I want to uh, share with you today, and this is, uh, this is something you can tease my wife about later. Uh, someday I hope to inherit this fine piece of machinery right here. All right. This is this is my dad's 1964 Cushman Eagle scooter, all right, and uh, there there it is in all of its glory. Uh, I tell my wife that I'm going to inherit that, and she just Kristen just looks at me and like she doesn't even like reply. Just steam comes out of her ears because um, it's it's a hoopty, Let's be honest, it kind of looks a little ghetto, and, and it doesn't sound too hot either. But um, you guys can go to the go to the next pictures. This is a picture of my dad just last weekend on that scooter. I took this picture. I put this up on Instagram, and I said. This might not make any sense, but this pretty much sums up my dad. And so I took that picture, uh, and, and there it is. And so that is the man who gave me many of the traits that I have. I, he's probably the reason I joke around too much, the reason I'm sarcastic. There's the boys. I'm trying to pass this legacy on, right? And so we've got to pass that on to my sons. But he is the reason that I look like this, that I act like this, for better or worse. That's my father. And yet, when we, when we talk about earthly fathers, we know that, that uh, sometimes we use our earthly situations and our context and our family and our fathers to define us, but those things don't define us. Revelation 19 just told us who our heavenly father is. And we're told that he is faithful, he is truth, he is justice, he is the almighty king and lord. That is our heritage, that's our lineage. We are children of the most high king. Because of that, we are royalty. Royalty is not, not something that you choose. It's not like people wake up someday and say, you know what? I want to be a king, because I've heard they've got a really good life. They just kind of sit on a throne and hang out all day. It's, it's not something that, that chooses. That's not something that you choose. Royalty just is, is part of your lineage. And God has has chosen us. God has made us part of his family. Ephesians 1 4 says, He chose us in him before the creation of the world. God is, has chosen us. And if we have accepted his gift, if we have said that, that we understand who Christ is and we have closed the gap between ourselves and God by making Jesus the Lord of our life, by giving our life to him, by letting his blood take away our sins, then we are children of God. 1 Peter 2.9 says that uh, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We're going to get into that more next week. Sarah's going to teach us. But, but I simply want you to know this. When we're called a chosen generation a royal priesthood. That's what Christians were referred to. Not, not because we're awesome, not because we're perfect, not because we have everything figured out. In fact, that original verse was written to people who were being persecuted, people who were being killed for following God. They were, they were being dipped in oil and put on sticks and used as 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 lamps in the streets as lanterns and so they're being persecuted they're being killed they're being they're being uh, basically just made a mockery of and their lives are being threatened and yet they're told out of out of darkness you are light you're a child of god you're royalty you're going to give god glory we are a chosen people we are children of god we're royalty not just that but but we are adopted. Now, for those of you that don't know, I want to put up a, a picture of my daughter, Mercy. I'm way more tan than her, as you can tell. Um, but she'll catch up, it's fine. Uh, no, when I, when I say that, that we are adopted as children of God, though, honestly, that has a, a, a deep meaning to me because Kristen and I uh, adopted Mercy a few months ago. And... Uh, people, you know, sometimes they ask us, they, they try to get around that story, they're like, so how did that uh, happen? Or, you know, but I think people are just, uh, you know, afraid to ask about adoption, some of those things sometimes. And so, you know, we tell them, um, simply put, I, I feel like adoption is, is the heart of God. I know that it's the heart of God. I trust that it's the heart of God, and I've seen that in scripture. Um, and I don't mean to compare my, myself to God. I think that as we live the Christian life, we're compelled by his love to do the things that, that he has done for us. And so I simply just wanted to say this, that, that God chooses us and he makes us his own and, and it's permanent and we're part of his family. And there's gonna come a day probably uh, when, when Mercy's in middle school, most of you probably had this point where you decided that for no good reason you hated your parents, right? It, it, it just happens. People have said that to us. They're like, what if she decides she doesn't like you someday? And I'm like, yeah, the biological kids do that too. I did that to my dad all the time. It's just what happens. And so that day might come, but the point is that we have chosen her and she is part of our family and it's permanent and she's adopted and she's our child. And all of the things that we have, although it's not much, she, she's entitled to them and she has those things. Sometimes we're afraid of, of, of being vulnerable, we're afraid of failing, and we, we think because of, because of our earthly parents that, that love is something that can be turned on and off, or maybe they won't love us, maybe they won't care about us, maybe, maybe their love will end or have limits. But when we're adopted, when we're children of God, we're made royalty, and we are do everything that God has, we are do everything that the King has. And so we can give Him our lives in full confidence that we have received all of Him. I mentioned that, that adoption is at the heart of God. I want to read this passage to you out of Galatians 4. This is verses 4 through 7. It says this, But when the time set had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under law. Talking about Jesus. Verse 5 says, To redeem those under the law, that, me, that we re- might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, So you no longer are a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. God loved us enough that he didn't want us to be separated from him because of the sin and the junk in our lives that keeps a distance between us and a perfect God. He didn't want that distance. He loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live a perfect life so that when Jesus died on the cross, his life could pay the price for our sins. And when he was raised from the dead three days later, he defeated sin and death and closed that gap between us and God, gave us access to God the Father. And these verses say, God sent his son so that his son could come and be the Lord of our hearts, Lord of our lives, so that we could give our lives and our hearts to God in the same way that Jesus gave his life and his heart to us. And once we have Jesus the Son in our life, once we've been given His Spirit, we're told that that Spirit is in us, is sealed in us, and is a part of us, and has made us an heir of God. And that Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. That Spirit craves time with God the Father. The Spirit knows its Father, and knows that it is supposed to spend time and be in the presence of the Father. And so we are the children of God if we've received his gift. We are royalty. We are heirs. We are adopted. But as we talk about being children, we talk about being royalty. There's a few things that I just wanted to uh, mention today that we need to keep in mind as, as royalty. There's no room for pride. We're not royalty because we're awesome. And unfortunately, anyone who has, has known Jesus for a while knows that sometimes that can go to our head. If you've hung out in a church long enough, or maybe you've read the New Testament, you've seen some guys called the Pharisees who let it go to their head that they were, they were religious or they were special and they had it all figured out. And, and they, they basically just got these inflated egos as they, as they lived this religious life. Everything that God has given us is not because we're awesome not because we deserve it, or not because we're great. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace you've been saved. Through faith, this isn't because of anything you've done, not because of yourself, it's the gift of God. Jesus, Jesus came to this, this world because, because he loved us. He didn't come be, because I have a lot of hair or I'm really good looking or because I, 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 I just wanted him to do it. He came because he loved us. So we have no room for pride. We can boast in Jesus and in what he did on the cross and in nothing else. You've probably all seen, seen someone who's royalty or someone who's famous who, who likes to brag. Maybe some of you are old enough. Seems crazy saying this, but I know it's already a few years back. Uh, someone like Paris Hilton who's famous just because of their last name. And you see interviews with Paris Hilton and she's like people don't like me. That's how she talks, in case you don't know that, right? She says something like, people always judge me, but I, I want them to know that I work really hard, and you, you hear these interviews of like these, these famous people, and you're like, you work really hard, really? Have, have you ever had a job? Have you ever done anything? Have you ever had any training, or finished a class, or gone anywhere, or... You know, and she's just like twirling her hair and saying, like I work really hard, I want people to know that there's pride. There's there's pride there in her name and and what she's been given. What she should say and what we should say, I've got everything because of my dad. I, I didn't do anything, I don't deserve anything, I'm a nobody, I got it because of my dad. But sometimes we, we try to take pride in the things that we've done or, or, or over time we lie to ourselves and fool ourselves and think we've actually done something. Like, yeah, I've just been working really hard and uh, going to church a lot and so I feel like I'm in a, a good spot. And um, no, everything we have is because of Jesus and, and what he did on the cross. So there's no room for pride because we're children, because we're heirs, because we're royalty. Not just that, but there's, there's no reason for poverty. I read a, another story this week uh, but a, a guy named Garrett Yates, and he owned a, a field in, in West Texas right after the Depression. And, and he was just your, your average uh, Texas rancher, farmer. You, you picture his property, and it's just like dead grass everywhere, tumbleweeds rolling. This guy can barely pay the bills and can barely eat, and, and, and things just aren't great. But he, uh, he, he's existing. And uh, one day, uh, some guys asked him if, if they could uh, come out and, and dig what was called a wildcat well. Not that they'd done any research or that they thought there was anything on his land, but they, they just liked to go to random spots and dig wells and, and see what happens. And so obviously this was, this was a long time ago, but they, they came out and dug this one well and they struck it rich. I mean, like really rich. Like This was, this was you know, decades ago, but even for now, this would be awesome. This, this one well alone, which they also found that it led to more, this, this well alone was making him $80,000 a day. All right. Yeah, some of you were like, "I could do that. That'd be all right." Yeah, um, and this—that's after the profits and everything has been taken out. Like he himself is making eighty thousand dollars a day, and so you multiply that by like thirty years. I don't know how old this guy was till he wanted to retire. Not that he needed to, because he was loaded. But this guy—he—he he, he was set, right? And all of these years that he was struggling, that he was letting sheep and different animals graze, and he didn't have any food, and his family didn't have any food or any money. He was sitting on this the whole time, and he didn't know it. That's the other thing I want us to remember as we talk about being a child of God, being an heir, being royalty, being adopted sons and daughters. There's no room for pride, but there's also no reason for poverty. We don't have to have this this woe-is-me attitude. We don't need to look at our sins and be depressed and think, well, I'm so screwed up, I did this, or this happened in high school, or I did this. People don't even know this. I'm an embarrassment to my family We don't have to focus on those things and think of ourselves as as, as too far gone or as, as, as just someone that's not worth loving because at our foundation, at our core, at our base, the thing that we're standing on, the thing that we can put our identity in that's immovable and unshakable and unchangeable is that we are the children of God. We are heirs. We are royalty. We are adopted sons and daughters. If we we have accepted that gift Often we're we're distracted by the things we have in our lives The things that we worry about The the ways that we know every day You think well people think I'm a great guy at work But they don't know that I I do this Or have this in my past I treat this person like this There's no reason for, for poverty Or feeling abandoned like that Because we're sitting on riches We have the potential of riches right under us Just like that well And we can put those things Those problems Those hurts Those frustrations We can give those things to God We can experience the the peace that Christ gives us when we know that He's taken our sins away, that our slate's been washed clean, that we've been forgiven, and that we've been given new life and made a new creation in Him. So this morning, we've been asking this for a few weeks, but sometimes in different ways it connects with different people. We just simply want to ask where has your identity been? Where are you placing your identity? Some of us needed to hear a few weeks ago that we were made in the image of God because we don't think we're pretty or we don't don't think we're good enough or or smart enough. Some of us needed to hear that we're the bride of Christ. We needed to hear that, that we've been loved, we've been valued, we've been pursued. Someone has cared about us since the creation of the world. This morning, some of us may need to hear that we're a child of God, that we have someone who loves us, who cares for us, someone who sent his one and only son to die for us so that we could know God the Father, someone who's extending that gift to us and saying, I'm here for you, I love you, I want to know you. If your identity has not been found in a relationship with Jesus, then you've been putting your identity in things that can move and and shake and change. This morning, all you have to do It's a it's a simple step of of talking to God, confessing that with your mouth that you you know who Jesus is, you know what He did on the cross, and you want to put your faith and hope and trust. You want to give Him your love and your life. You speak that with your mouth and believe that in your heart. The Bible says that Jesus will come into your heart, come into your life. He will send His Spirit into your life, and that God will be God the Father to you. That you will be adopted into His family, part of His family. You will be an heir. You will be royalty. You will be changed. Maybe that's the decision you need to make to change your identity or realize the true identity you've been called to. Some of us have, have made that decision. We've, we've had this identity. We realize, we understand that we're in the family of God. We realize that we're an heir, that we're royalty, that we're adopted sons and daughters, and yet we haven't really been living like that. Maybe you've been the, the Paris Hilton of the family of God. Maybe maybe you've done some things that that, for better or worse have, have kind of muddied the family name. Maybe, maybe you claim to be a, a child of God, you claim to be an heir and, and yet there are times that you're just living the complete opposite of that. And so maybe this morning you just need to say, God, I'm sorry. I know that I'm one of your sons and daughters. I know that I have a relationship with you. I know that you're in my life but I've, I've, I've ruined that relationship. Maybe you just need to say, God, I want to I repair that relationship just like talking to a friend, just like someone when you said, you know, I, I, I lied about you or I gossiped about you, I wronged you in this way and I just want to clear things up. I want to make sure that that path between us is is clean. I want to make sure that, that our relationship is good. Maybe you've been been talking one way and living another or pretending to be one person and, and being another and so maybe this morning it's just a matter of, of kind of fixing where you've been placing your identity, just a, a temporary solution, something that that you can take care of and say, Lord, I'm I'm sorry. I want to live as an heir. I want to live as a child. I wanna I wanna live as an adopted person with no room for pride, but also no poverty. I want to understand the riches and the identity that you've given me. That story that I shared at the beginning from the Boston Globe is a story of, of homeless people, of of beggars, of of addicts with nothing nothing that they deserved in that story. And yet, all of the things that, that they experienced, all of those things were given to them. This morning, trust that God has invited us to his family. God has said, you are my child. He said that you are my heir. And he's given us Jesus as a sacrifice so that we can be invited to a banquet, to a life, and to love and relationship that, that we don't deserve. I want to just end by reading this passage to you from Colossians, because it's, it's talking about who Jesus is, and it's talking about just the, the character of our Father, which we've been told is, is passed on to us when we're in the family of God. And so I want to read this to you. It says this. It says, "Christ is the invisible I'm sorry, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before everything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies. You were separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That's what Jesus did. That's the gift that we've been given. That's what makes us sons and daughters of God if we're willing to put our faith and our our love and our hope and our trust give our lives to Jesus the same way that he gave his life for us. That's that's our lineage. That's our heritage. That's our DNA. That is our identity right there. Someone who existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. That's our Father. So this morning we're going we're gonna to spend some time singing, some time worshiping. I want to just give you a chance to talk to God. If you've never said, God, I, I understand that you've given your son for me and I want to be a part of your family, you can make that decision. I'll I'll be at the back of the room. You can come and talk to me. I would love to talk to you about that. You can talk to, to a friend that you came with if, if you think they can answer some questions about that. Or you can visit the Next Steps table and, and the girls will tell you a little bit more about that in a second. Maybe you just need to fix your relationship with God and say, Lord, I've, I've been living entitled or I've been living in poverty and not been living compelled by your love. As we sing this morning, let's, let's spend some time with God and and, and fix those things let's let's make sure that our identity and our relationships are where they should be let's spend some time talking to God will you pray with me God thank you for this morning Lord thank you for the chance Lord just to be in your presence God I I thank you for sending your son Jesus so that we could be adopted heirs royalty in your son and your daughters God help us to uh, Put our identity where it belongs. Help us to find our identity in you today. Lord, help us to celebrate that as we sing that, to be confident of that, to be excited about that. Lord, Lord having your identity is more exciting than any Ohio State victory or any concert or anything we've been to, Lord. And so I pray that as we sing, that, that our joy will fill this place this morning. It's in your name I pray, amen.